At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare this is the pittsburgh city cast with tim benz presented by bet rivers that's a really good hockey team. They've won a lot of games this year. You know, they're in first place for a reason. They're, they're a good team. They've got a lot of talent. They're a deep team. And, and they're well coached. So it was everything that, that we thought it would be. It's, it's a hard game. It had a playoff feel to it as far as just there's not a lot of room out there. You know, you've got to fight for every inch. And, and that's, uh, that's the game that I think we need to embrace moving forward because that's playoff hockey. Penguins coach Mike Sullivan after the loss for his team at PPG Paints Arena on Sunday afternoon to the Carolina Hurricanes. First matchup between the teams atop the Metro Division. Tim Benz here, Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. And if that is an indication of what we can expect from these two teams in a potential best-of-seven playoff series, I'm not sure if my heart can take it. Yeah, tough one if you're a Penguins fan and you bet under six and a half, right? You got the worst of both worlds. Pens lose, score a late goal to try to mount a comeback, but it's not enough as they end up losing four to three, scoring a late power play goal, pulled the goalie. Sidney Crosby right on the doorstep with one more swipe at the puck as the horn was sounding and it doesn't go in. And Jordan Stahl, the former Penguin, now Carolina Hurricanes center, he and his teammates get the victory as the Pens have now lost two in a row. They fell to Toronto over the weekend as well. Some of what we were talking about before the weekend, about how tough of a stretch this is going to be for the Pens. They get a bit of a reprieve with the Devils coming to town this week. So keep that one in mind. If you're looking to throw some money on the Pens Thursday night against the Devils, your next chance to do it and maybe your best chance to do it for a while because then after that, it's the New York Rangers who are third in the division with the Pens sandwiched in between the Hurricanes and New York right now. Pens with 70 points, two back of the Hurricanes atop the Metro. Both the Rangers and the Hurricanes have some games in hand on the Pens too. Keep that in mind. After New York, it's three straight on the road against Columbus, Tampa, and Carolina again. Then some tough ones at home, Florida, Vegas, Carolina, a third time on the road, Nashville and St. Louis before a little break again where they get Arizona, Columbus, and Buffalo three straight. I've already put you beyond St. Patrick's Day for crying out loud into March Madness without look ahead. But like I said, with some dicey games coming up and even some tough road contests against lesser teams like the Blue Jackets, if you want to bet on the Pens, I would do it against the Devils on Thursday night because then it gets really testy for a stretch for the Penguins. We'll talk more about the Pens with Mark Madden. It is a Madden Monday podcast. 
Coming up today, Mark will talk extensively about the game that he saw today back from his cruise. Thanks to Joe Rudder for filling in last week. Talking plenty about the Steelers and the quarterback situation coming off the Senior Bowl and whatnot. But Mark is back in the saddle today, and he will talk not only about the Pens, but also the Steelers. Wrote a column about Mitch Trubisky maybe being a guy that the Steelers should investigate at quarterback. And also talk about the Brian Flores hire by the Steelers. That was big news on Saturday. Steelers don't forget 50-1 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl. We talked about the issues of perception surrounding the Pittsburgh Steelers last week and maybe why those odds are where they are. My goodness, they're mentioned with the Carolina Panthers, the Atlanta Falcons, just barely in front of like the New York Giants and Chicago Bears. People are down on the Steelers, and one of the reasons why I think played into the role of their decision-making as to why they hired Brian Flores to the job that they did. I think the Steelers' decision to hire the former Miami Dolphins head coach is an attempt to address three things surrounding the franchise right now. So Flores brought on to be assistant linebackers coach and a senior defensive assistant, sort of creating a position for him. Two of the things that the Steelers are trying to address by hiring Flores appear to be about battles of perception. The other may actually be about the battle to get the opposing team off the field without racking up an insane amount of rushing yards and points. That's a battle the Steelers lost all too frequently in 2021 especially in the second half of the season. The first thing hiring Flores does is that it counters the increasing public frustration from many fan and media circles that the Steelers undervalue the hiring of assistant coaches in terms of money, experience, and outside opinion for that matter. While it's not yet known what Flores' salary is, bringing him on staff with the cachet of his resume and him being a recent head coach, that's a pivot for the Steelers when it comes to their track record of late of merely promoting assistance from within the team when they've got vacancies or hiring coaches who were available without jobs from the lower ranks of other clubs. A growing talking point from critics of head coach Mike Tomlin in recent years, at least since Todd Haley wasn't retained as offensive coordinator, is that he prefers profound autonomy of decision-making. Tomlin does. As a result, the franchise hasn't been motivated to think outside the box when it comes to potentially hiring assistants with big presences or with potential head coach ceilings. Flores, who was dismissed by the Miami Dolphins on January the 10th after working two winning seasons in that city, well, he fits that description. The hire may indicate that the franchise is willing to think bigger when it comes to building Tomlin's support staff. By extension, perhaps this will make Tomlin more willing to diffuse some of the defensive play-calling responsibilities on game day, especially now that Flores and newly promoted defensive coordinator Terrell Austin are on the coaching tree. Secondly, the Rooney rule bears the last name of the team owner, Art Rooney II, and was essentially named after his late father, Dan when he was still running the team back in 2003. It was originally drafted with the intent of putting legitimate standards in place for NFL franchises to follow when it came to hiring and promoting people of color in the league's coaching ranks. After his firing by Miami and subsequent interviews that he deemed to be of a token nature, Flores filed a lawsuit 
against the NFL alleging racial discrimination and violations of federal employment law. Prior to Lovey Smith being hired by the Houston Texans on February the 7th, Tomlin was the only African-American coach in the league. As a result, the Rooney Rule began to be portrayed as something more of a punchline than a tool of progress. Legislation for legislation's sake, lacking teeth and substance in the respect of its own ownership groups that brought it into existence in the first place. That had to irritate Rooney to no end. Hiring Flores, while not in a head coaching role, despite the presence of an ongoing lawsuit against the league itself, is an obvious indication of pushback from Rooney against how he must feel his fellow owners have failed to take the rule seriously. Also, it's a statement on his part about how he sees the importance of the nature of the rule itself. By ostensibly creating a position for Flores that combines some of the duties previously absorbed by Austin and former coordinator Keith Butler, the Steelers are saying that even if the Rooney Rule isn't applicable to a situation, the spirit of it should be at the forefront of decision makers and front offices when it comes to diversifying coaching staffs across the league. And then lastly, and I think most importantly, there is the player development part. You know, the grassroots important nature of coaching. Flores' teams in Miami improved from 5-11 and to 10-6 and and 9-8 and in his three seasons as Dolphins head coach. As far as overall team defense goes, with him being a defensive guy on the Steelers staff now, Miami began at 398.7 yards allowed per game under Flores in 2019. That was 30th in the league. And their points per game allowed was 30.9 last in the league. By 2020, the yardage output dropped to 20th in the NFL at 367.9. And the points per game was actually fifth best in football at 21.1. Last year, the Dolphins were 16th at 21.9 points per game and 16th in yards allowed at 337.5. A lot of that was done with a roster whose average age was the youngest in the NFL in 2019 and the second youngest in 2020. Aside from T.J. Watt, the Steelers linebackers need help. And if that's part of Flores' job description, he needs to be good at it. Alex Highsmith appears to be developing decently at the other outside position, but there's another level he needs to reach to be the kind of force needed opposite Watt, especially if Watt is commanding the attention of most defenses on every snap. At inside linebacker, Devin Bush has been a significant disappointment thus far. Joe Schobert may get released or need some help rediscovering his game. Aside from those players, the Steelers are relying on the likes of Robert Spillane, Derek Tuska, and Taco Charlton for contributions at the linebacker positions. Flores' eye and outside opinions when it comes to finding new talent or extracting more production out of what currently exists could be crucial in aiding a defense that ranked 24th overall and last against the run in 2021. Which of those things is most important? For me, it's the last one. For a team that has failed to win a playoff game five years in a row, I would hope that the front office would share that opinion. But if the Steelers are as right as they think they are about Flores and the Dolphins were as wrong as they appeared to be, all three goals can still be met. The perception one seems to be more important to them and more important to the big picture of how 
they are perceived by the rest of the league, how they are perceived by their fan base, but nothing will help those two things more than if Flores is successful and the fans are watching a team that actually wins a playoff game again. All right, we'll talk about this more with Mark Madden next as we get into our Madden Monday podcast, plenty on the Penguins too. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast, and it's brought to you by Bet Rivers. Go to BetRivers.com or download the app today. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. A Madden Monday podcast, Tim Benz and Mark Madden from 105.9 The X. Mark back after a week off. He was on the Legends of Rock Cruise and has returned. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. This podcast is 15 seconds old and already, Mark, better than the first nine seconds of the second or third period of Pens versus Hurricanes at PPG Paints Arena. Well, Tim, first off, I was a passenger, a spectator, a customer on the Legends of Rock cruise, not one of the Legends of Rock. I know because I was required to have a vaccination card and a negative test for COVID taken no less than 48 hours before boarding, as opposed to Deep Purple, the headliners, who somehow all came down with COVID (laughs) after having played one show. I would guess the boarding requirements for them we're not quite as strict, but in terms of the Penguins today against Carolina, uh, sometimes you're going to lose to a good team, and Carolina certainly is that. I have said the Hurricanes will have trouble beating the Penguins in the best of seven because they play like the Penguins, and it's tough to out-Penguin the Penguins. But Carolina was a bit more physical than the Penguins today, a bit edgier, and certainly a lot more buttoned up. You referred to the Penguins allowing a goal just nine seconds into the second period, and again, nine seconds into the third period, Tim, that just can't happen. I've never seen it before. To win a game where that happens. And and, and one time they they lost the draw, one time they won the draw, but in either case, it reveals the attention span of a soap dish. Mike Sullivan's reaction to it, I think to your point, Mark, happened different ways twice. He outlined them. Once he said it was attention to detail after winning the faceoff, the other because they lost it. Both times it winds up in the net. But those 18 seconds make all the difference in the world in what was otherwise a 2-2 hockey game. Yeah, and again, the Penguins otherwise would have won, although it's easy mathematically to say that the reality might be something different. But but like Sully said, the, the first minute of a period is a, a big time in a hockey game just like the last minute in a period you know in in, in certain you know right after goals scored right after goals allowed so uh again that's where they lost the game and it goes to show how their structure is faded when a guy like brian dumoulin on the goal nine seconds into the third period he he made the turnover then the guy got behind him he made mistakes on both ends of the goal that's an awful lot of effing up to do inside of nine seconds, Tim, and you wouldn't think Dumoulin would be that guy. 
No, not normally his M.O. I'll ask you the same thing I asked Sullivan and some of the players in the Carolina side, Mark, and that is what we saw today. Is that roughly indicative of what you think you might see in a best of seven between these teams? Or to perhaps your earlier point, the physicality and the buttoned-up nature of the Hurricanes, was that surprising to you and something that tips in their favor if it's a best of seven? Oh, uh, they're a more fundamentally sound team, the Hurricanes. Not by much, but they are. And again, nobody wants to hear this, but the Penguins have played looser since Gino came back. And, you know, they put Carter on that line for a reason, Tim. You know, my suggestion, by the way. It's just a different team with him there. I'm not saying worse. And everybody says that I say that Gino affects their chemistry negatively. No, he doesn't affect their chemistry negatively. He's a a great teammate and well-respected and Everybody knows his track record for production in big situations, but this isn't about production in any situation. It's about not making mistakes at the blue lines, and it's about not letting your preference to play one way trickle down to the rest of your team, and in particular Chris Letang, who just hasn't been the same since Gino came back. He's played too much like Gino in terms of lack of being buttoned up. Did that also apply, do you think, to the Toronto loss previously? No, they just got their ass kicked in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Toronto's a pretty good team, especially at home. Sometimes you just lose. That game wasn't winnable. The game against Carolina was. There's lots of tough games, Mark, coming up. These first two against the Leafs and Hurricanes start a month-long slog between now and St. Patrick's Day, where I believe it's 11 games, nine of them against teams in playoff slots. How much of the performance the Penguins thus far has been buoyed or bolstered by taking advantage of lesser teams, and how much of a challenge do you see over these next 10 or 11? Well, you can only play who's on the schedule, so I don't want to say the Penguins' record isn't uh, accurate as per how they played. I think it is very much so. But yeah, these games are tests coming up, especially against the teams they may well play in the playoffs. A lot of them from the Metro and Atlantic upper half, and even a couple that they're getting from the Western Conference, like St. Louis, Las Vegas, and who's the other one I'm forgetting about? And Colorado. Colorado, yeah, Colorado. Before the season's over. Uh, I got to tell you, though, one thing I'm not worried about, at least until playoff time, is Tristan Jari. He kept them in the game today. That game could have been decided long before it was. Carolina had three breakaways in the first period, a bunch of odd man rushes, too, and Jari stopped all the breakaways. I thought he was brilliant all day. Erod finally scored, which was good to see. Uh, Crosby scored again. Russ scored again. Uh, your thoughts uh, primarily on Erod actually getting on the score sheet. First time, what was it, like 19 games or something? That was his first goal in, in 19 games, correct. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I thought that's the spot he should be in on the power play. Oh, that, that was a six on four, which is a bit different. But you can't knock how Rust has played since he's you know, been back and been on the power play in the spot Rodriguez did occupy, which is, of course, the left half wall. And it's like you can't take somebody who's hot and worry about compromising them to get somebody else hot, Uh, whether it's putting Rodriguez back on the power play or I've seen it said on Twitter countless times by the genomaniacs that, Russ should play with Gino because it's not fair that Sid gets both Rust and Jake. Well, Sid, Rust, and Jake are the best line of hockey. You know, Gino's got Carter now, which is done to cover up for his mistakes as much as anything. But, you know, let Gino worry about Gino and let the best line of hockey remain intact. But in terms of Rodriguez getting the goal, yeah. 
That's number 16 on the year, I think. And that's his career high. And uh, he was always going to slow down, Tim, although, you know, that being his first goal in 19 games is a bit dramatic. How about that first line for Carolina? Ajo, Svechnikov, and Taravainen. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. I enjoy watching Ajo play as much as anyone in the league. How about Stalzi throwing Gino through Jari? Although he had regret for it afterwards when he spoke to the media. Yeah, I asked him about it, and he said it was my bad. He, I picked him up late. He saw me late. And then I think, out of instinct, he just finished the check through the goaltender. Stalzi plays the winning. Nothing wrong with that. I, I was surprised to, to learn that today's goal, which was one of the nine second goals, that was to start the second period, which went off his left leg. That's only his fourth goal of the year. But, you know, what a great two-way player he is and what a great leader he is for the Hurricanes. I talked with him and Vince Trocek on the way out the door, Tim. And, uh, and uh, boy, that's a good team. That really is a good team. And one big key is, even though he didn't play today, Freddie Anderson in goal was better with Carolina than he was in Toronto. And I'm not so sure that was to be counted on before we saw it happen. Stalzi's even turning into a good quote, Mark Lowe, these many years later. My left leg's never been so hot. Isn't that what he said? Something like that. Yeah, I, I always thought Stalzi's <laughs> a scream. He's one of my one of my favorite guys, you know, uh, playing for the Penguins. And boy, now that he's a grizzled veteran after seeing him as a kid, I feel really old. You can almost see the lines in his face and, and read the 18 years or whatever it's been since he came into the league. And uh, it made me think the same thing when I looked in the mirror, in the rearview mirror on the car drive home. Well, we, I talked to him. Like I said, I caught him in, in truck check on the way out the door going to the bus. And, and Stalzi was telling me about his mom and dad being in Florida now, retired, drinking vino. And I'm thinking, wow, the sod farmer drinking vino. That's got to be a sight to see. <laughs> Mark Madden with us. You can check him out again, 105.9 The X. He's back on Monday through Friday, schedule 3 until 6. Good job by Adam Crowley filling in, Mark, for the week. And uh, one thing that happened while Adam was in for you, he had Trey Essex, the former Steelers lineman, on. And he yeah, pointed... that, he's a good guest, man. i got to get him on. He's he he he's is smarter on Twitter than all – like, let, let me put it to you this way. If you had to hire Bruce Kretkowski or Trey Essex to be the Steelers GM, it would be Essex and not even close. Well, he said something that echoed a sentiment that you had and you wrote about in the Trib, and that was regarding T.J. Watt, Najee Harris, heck, just about every Steeler that's been interviewed so far. Whenever they're inevitably asked about the state of the quarterback situation, they just reply with, well, I'll trust the front office to get somebody in here who will get the job done. There's not even the, you know, perfunctory, well, we've got Mason and Dwayne and we've got faith in them, dot, dot, dot. They don't even well, give it I, that. I wrote a call about that, That's Tim. what I'm saying, yeah. If, if Watt and Najee don't have faith in Rudolph and Haskins, it still behooves them to put them over in public as per propping them up in case one of them does have to be the starter. It, it's just being... Not a bad teammate as much as a stupid teammate. But Trey Essex got it right on the money. He said, bring in Mitch Trubisky. Everybody else is doing the rerun thing. Jameis Winston, again, just like last year, just like the year before. Bring in Jameis Winston. And if you look at their stats, Tim, Mitch Trubisky has outperformed Jameis Winston during both their tenures in the league. Not by much, but he's definitely outperformed Winston, Trubisky has. And might I add, Trubisky's made a lot less mistakes. I'll be real interested to see what they do at draft time, especially after free agency expires, because if they do go that route and they are tempted to draft somebody in the first round, 
Well, then, what? Do they just trade Rudolph? Do they cut Haskins? You don't need four. Gosh, they've even got Dobbs no, kicking around. Rudolph could be the backup. I mean, so they just get rid of Haskins at that point? Or is he the third or, or what? I guess he's the third. That's what he was this past year, right? Yeah, it just seems like a waste of somebody. Um, maybe Josh Dobbs can finally get on with his life's work of launching people into space or whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't get him. This sounds insulting when I say this. I can't believe he would eschew, you know, his, his, his ability to be literally a rocket scientist. I assume that pays pretty good, right, Tim, to just – Get, get practice squad paychecks and know he's never going to play. And I keep hearing that, that he would be a good coach. Well, you want to be a coach or a rocket scientist? I mean, I don't know. You should pursue whatever you want to do. I have underachieved as per my IQ being a radio host, albeit a very successful and popular one. But uh, you've got the Steelers quarterback situation. I'm tired of talking about it. But the healthy situation would be to bring in Trubisky to compete with Rudolph and Haskins. If you're tired talking about the quarterback situation, what do you think of the floor is higher? Um, I think it's superfluous, and they did it primarily to do the right thing and the virtue signal to hire the you know guy who may or may not be being blackballed from the league because he's suing because of uh, uh, racially Rich, improper yeah. hiring policies, I guess is one way to put it, that an African-American can't get a job as a head coach in the league, and and that's true. There's merit to his case. There's no evidence whatsoever. And you're never going to tell rich guys how to spend their money. But uh, I, I think his case has merit. I just don't see the significance, Tim, because if you had the chain of command properly, wouldn't Terrell Austin be working for Brian Flores, given each of their resumes? And won't Tomlin Bigfoot the defense anyway, no matter who the coordinator is? I'm, I'm just not sure I see the significance Beyond the sociological part. Uh, I'll give you the significance beyond the sociological part, Mark. It's the significance of making it look like they hired somebody significant because that's become such a narrative in this offseason that they never bring in big-name assistants. I'm not saying well, that it's going to— is, is he a big-name assistant? I mean, I mean, they also hired the offensive line coach the Carolina fired. Well, that's what I'm talking about. I think it crested— And they're also going to promote from within for, for GM, no matter how many candidates they interview— we all know that's just a sham. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess he's the guy in the news. Now, you know, we'll be talking about his lawsuit every day here in Pittsburgh. He'll be asked about it every day, that's for sure. But, again, I mean, is he going to make Devin Bush a great player? Is he going to make the defense that much better? I don't know. I, I think this team needs more good players a lot more than it needs more good assistant coaches. Well, right, and maybe he's part of finding those good players, which, let's face it, Mark, they haven't done a good enough job of doing – as a replacement for Bud Dupree at one outside linebacker position, and how many times are they going to swing and miss on inside guys trying to replace Ryan Shazier? You know what a key moment's going to be, Tim? March 16th is when free agency starts, correct? I think that's the date, yeah. The Steelers have cap space to work with. It's not the ton that some think it is. For example, the Bengals have more. And who would you rather play for, if you're an offensive lineman especially? But, uh, you know, the Steelers have this cap space to work with, but they very rarely been big players on the first day of free agency, the first wave, as it were, beyond the occasional guy like Hardings or Ryan Clark or, or James Farrier. I don't even so, think Clark was as big back then as we might remember it now. No, he turned out to be as bigger. Yeah. But, but my point is, will they go against what they usually do and be players on the first day, the first wave of free agency? If they're not, then I'm not sure how to read their intent. So really, in terms of 
divining where this team wants to go and what it will do to get there. That that first day, March 16th, is going to mean an awful lot. Don't you agree? Well, yes, and kind of to the math part of it, you know, what they actually have to spend. I believe it's in the 30s right now, 33 roughly, which is eighth in the NFL. And I saw a projection, which if you went player by player and everybody did restructure, they could restructure to almost double that if they wanted to kick the can down the road. Where I question that, though, is, Mark, to your exact point, if you know of yourself that you're not it's not in your nature to be that big of a player anyway. Why kick the can down the road on those restructures? Why not just use the 30 that you got instead of opening it up to 60 and then be leery of using it in the first place? Well, I've seen so many different estimates on what they're going to have when free agency opens up in terms of cap space. But, uh, you know, I mean, I just don't think they can be a good team next year. I think they could scratch in the playoffs, maybe. I think they'd be better off tanking to get, you know, a quarterback and a draft to switch or with them in 2023. But, but hey, whatever they want to do. I mean, like, you know, no matter what happens, people are going to believe they're a playoff team because the Steelers always shoot to win the Super Bowl. Art Rooney said that, ignoring the fact that they've won three playoff games in the past decade. How much of this whole Flores thing is him being mad that the rule with his father's name on it, his name on it, is being dragged through the mud? I think that's part of it, don't you? I do. I think he's mad about it. I think he knows now that the Rooney rule is almost being looked at with a negative tinge when people say it. And well, he... no, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, I, I could see where he'd think that because he's a mark, but, but it's really not. The Rooney rule, in theory, was very noble, and I give Mr. Rooney credit for having come up with it. And for many years, it wore the Rooney name proudly. But now people have figured out, owners have figured out, hey, you know what? It really doesn't force us to do anything. For a while, they felt a moral obligation, but Tim in football, it doesn't take long to eliminate the moral part. Mark, what do you think of Brady, his retirement, a possible return, and some of the, um, I don't know, the, the lately the undercurrent of discussion that there might have been a rift with Bruce Arians? Who's saying he's going to return? I haven't, you know, I mean, I can't imagine that. It's been written numerous times that he might be flirting with the idea of coming back. And this Rich Orenberg, the former player, who said that he had heard that there was a rift between him and Arians, might have fed into it. Yeah, I think it would be great if we could let guys go. If we could just, like, talk about somebody different once in a while. So, until he says he's not retired, I want to go with him being retired. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You know, him playing until he's 45... It paves the way for some of the guys that I know that you hate that are older, like Rogers, sticking around forever because they think they can do it too. Oh, Tim, there's no shortage of guys I hate. <laughs> and he's chief among them, right? Uh, he's right there. <laughs> well, speaking of guys that maybe should have retired, how was the Legends of Rock Cruise? Those who played, how were they? Uh, Blue Oyster Cult was great. They totally got the concept they played three shows in four days, and they switched up their set list drastically every day. Because in a cruise like that, some people are going to see the same groups over and over again, as I did with BOC. Uh, so I thought they were the best act I saw. Jefferson Starship, which has almost nobody left, uh, bar the rhythm guitar player who, who does some of the singing, uh, David Freiberg, who's 83 tip. Wow, jeez. He's out there 83, and he's still really good, and Donnie Baldwin's on drums. But other than that, it's like kind of a faux Jefferson Starship, but people just want to hear the songs. And they play the songs from the airplane 
through Jefferson Starship, through just generic Starship after Cantner left and took the Jefferson part of the name with him. So they were really, really good. BOC only has three, only has two originals left, but it's arguably the two most important with Buck Dharma and Eric Bloom. I saw Sticks uh, once and part of another time. They're not my cup of tea, but they were very good in the full show that I saw. I saw Don Felder, the Eagles. The Eagles never wanted him to sing, and he certainly revealed why. <laughs> um, uh, I saw George Lynch, ex of Dawkin, uh, with UFO's most recent bass player, Rob DeLuca, on, in his band. Uh, I saw some all-star jam session that was very good on the next to last night. So overall, it was a, a worthwhile endeavor, to be sure. I saw Don McLean sing American Pie, but I only did that to get a good seat for Deep Purple up next, and then Deep Purple canceled, and I saw Deep Purple once. Deep Purple was the headliner, and everybody who got on the boat had to have a vaccination card and a negative test for COVID that was no older than 48 hours. Apparently, Deep Purple was not held to that standard because they played one show, and it turned out they all had COVID. So you're watching Sticks when Sidney Crosby scores his 500th goal. Did you bust out yes. an applause while Sticks was playing? Well, I would have stayed home had I known that Sid was going to score number 500 against Philadelphia. I would have blown off with the, with the uh, cruise cost me, but there's no way to know for sure. Plus, which when I booked the cruise, there weren't even supposed to be NHL games that, that week. What did they give him today, like a golden stick and a plaque or something like that? Yeah, but it was very brief because he hates crap like that. You could tell. And he already did it, like, when was it, last year in the empty arena for, what, game number 1,000, I think? Was that right? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah, he, I, I'm not sure when to go through anything lengthy again. Mark, will you be taking a day off to go see Greta Van Fleet and Hershey? Yes. I'm not sure if I'm going to see them there, or I might be able to work it out to see them in Michigan the week before on the 12th. They're playing a bunch of shows in Michigan because they're from Frankenmuth, some hick town up there. They're not doing Detroit, but they're doing like five little towns in Michigan. Oh, and, and Hershey's not exactly New York City. I wonder why they're doing that. Uh, they might be trying to middle it. You know, I think when I was looking at the in the whole tour with Rival Sons, it's a lot of sort of, uh, you know, secondary cities that maybe they haven't gotten to play in in the past. Yeah, Kiss was always good at doing that. They would do one tour with the real cities, then they'd do a tour like two years later in the cities they didn't cover. Mark, you're looking forward to your return. You're going to find a boat to jump on before 3 o'clock on Monday. No, I want to do the show. I, I, you know, I I really do feel legitimately bad about having missed the, the Sid 500 goal. I mean, Sid's been a big part of my career. Uh, I am honored to have covered his whole career in Mario's too. And I think Sid's a great kid. Uh, not a kid anymore, obviously, but to me, he'll always be. And uh, I'm really sorry I missed that. I, I felt like I, uh, to say I let him down. I mean, he probably didn't even realize I wasn't there, but I feel like I, I let having covered him down. Well, Mark, you only have to stick around for another four and a half, five years for him to get to 600. Oh, I think it'll be sooner than that. You know, at this, at this pace, I, I, did, I did the math. He's 34 now. To get to 690 in Mario, he was going to have to be 40 and a little bit. Yeah, he might do it. So if he gets to if he gets to six hundred, it'll be like thirty eight and a half, thirty nine, something like that. About four and a half years. You know who Stalzy and I were talking about? It's his brother Eric, who's who I think played for Canada in the Olympics, right? I wonder why somebody hasn't picked him up for the stretch run, or somebody will. And the funny part is, he, the one team he wouldn't be a good fit for is the Penguins. They just don't need him. Right, they don't need another center like that because if necessary, they can put Rodriguez or, or Carter there. And Bluger's well, going to come but, back. But the thing is, they have five centers. Really, Tim. I mean, six if you count Rodriguez. But Boyle may 
you know, needing E obsolete. How about that size matchup? That looked like a power forward matchup today in basketball, not in hockey, between Stahl and Boyle. <laughs> yeah, two really elderly <laughs> centers who can't move that great anymore. You're right. Tell you what, though, Stahls, he can still play for me any day, boy. You know, it's funny because it comes full circle. He didn't want to be a third-line center when he was here in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And now in Carolina, he's a third-line center. But it's more of a prototypical third-line center, and he's great at it. Good to see him score. Mark, appreciate it. We'll check it again next week. As always, a pleasure, Tim. All right, Mark Madden, this is the Madden Monday Podcast, brought to you by BetRivers. Go to BetRivers.com or download the app today. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.